Welcome back. It's episode 46 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, we are talking about discipline, sobriety, and achievement in multiple fields and areas of your life. To do so, we are joined by somebody who falls into that category nicely, Ed Lattimore. Ed is a straight-talking, no-nonsense guy who has achieved an incredible amount at a slightly later stage in his life when he decided to pull things together. We cannot overstate how many different areas Ed has found success within, and I think that's something that a lot of us can take the principles from and apply to one or two or even three of the areas that we want to succeed. So we explore a number of areas with Ed, including how he's developed discipline to achieve all this success across these multiple areas, and his decision to go sober, and the four key areas of focus that helped make that choice easier. Ed's a well-known thought leader on Twitter, and inevitably we dive into how he crafts his communications and how it can help our communications and writing in other areas of life as well. The last thing we cover in the episode is two lessons from two of Ed's books, Not Caring What Other People Think is a Superpower and Sober Letters to My Drunk Self. This episode is straight to the point and hard-hitting and something that sometimes we just need to hear and Ed was a voice I needed to hear a couple years ago when I heard him on another podcast. Without any further ado, let's dive into this one and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Welcome back to another episode of Canberra Conversations and today's conversation is going to be wide and varied based on the fact that my guest has such an array of interest that he's interested in now but has been interested in previously. Today I'm joined by Ed Lattimore, former professional boxer, a man that has a physics degree, been a competitive chess player, a full-time author and a thought leader on a whole host of topics including sobriety, discipline and forgiveness. Ed, how's that for an intro? Welcome to the podcast. It's one of the best intros anyone's ever given me. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. I'm really happy to, you know, chat it up and, and get it going. It should be a good time. Fantastic, Ed. So I've given a few headlines there in terms of the things that you've done over the years, the things that you continue to do. But where did it all start in terms of background? Uh, you know, I, I think I think we're going to like look at that intro that you gave and ask where it got started the, the the best answer you know i started boxing when i was 22 but i didn't start making a lot of the other changes that people are aware of like you know the, the website for the writing other sobriety uh, my, my degree in physics all that i didn't start pursuing any of that, that stuff until i was about 28 and they really they were really the products of me trying to fix a wayward life i didn't feel like i liked where i was going in my life at that point and I said I need to make a big change and because of the type of person I am I think all addicts have this this commonality I was I said okay I'm gonna do all of the things that I should have been doing in my 20s in the next four years and you know with some crash and burn but for the most part it's turned out I mean I, I think I think if you compare my life now, now I'm 35. So if you compare my life now to where I was eight years ago, uh, you're not you're not looking at anything remotely close. It certainly was not on a path to be where I am now. And I really enjoy uh, all the progress that I've made. And I, I try to work every day to contribute something to some place, to someone, <laughs> somewhere, you know. And, and I think that, that continues to work out really well for me. 
I think that's a valuable outlook. And I think for many of the listeners who typically are in that demographic of 25 to 35, based over here in the UK, hearing somebody who is at the upper end of that, 35 now, but didn't have their shit on point from the very start. It wasn't a case of you were flying from the minute go. It took you time to put yourself in a position you're in. (laughs) No, if you you had a... If if you if you you uh talk to me, what was ten years ago at twenty five or anyone anyone who knew me twenty five years ago, I I don't think people thought this would be how it turned out for me. I mean, or maybe they did. If they did, you know that that's crazy because public perception can be manipulated so well. Because I can tell you, I mean, I was I was boxing and doing okay, but in terms of everywhere else in my life, in a way, you know, I, I, I remember it being a really big deal, for example, that I had like some money left over to go out and eat at the end of the month. But for the most part, it was like, let's pay my rent. Let's keep going to the gym. Cause and that's the thing too. That's the cool thing about uh, me having boxed is that it really uh, put all my energies in a, in a divining rod. Like, like it, it focused me. Yeah. And and doing so probably kept me from being even more out of control. But where I am now, I'm, I'm a really big fan of where I'm now, what I've turned out to be. Uh, and and a, a lot of it is because I said, look, and I, and I said it just like this for guys who are, who are wondering, you know, if they, they have enough time. I remember being 20, I think it was like 27 or 28, somewhere in that range, probably 27. And I remember going, you know, five years are going to pass anyway. You know, am I going to am I going to be in a better position or am I going to be in a worse position? Yeah. And and once I decided that I was going to be in a better position, all it was a matter of doing was just put my head down and going to work. You know, I didn't know exactly where I'd end up, but I knew exactly I knew where I wasn't going to end up. You know, and that was that was where I was. I wasn't going to be where I was anymore. You know, I wanted some money. I wanted I wanted to be respected. I wanted to like the person that I looked at when I when I um, looked in the mirror, you know. Of course, Ed. And with the the focus of sport, obviously you say that's saved you to some extent during that period where you were a bit more rebellious and unruly. What kind of structures did that save you from? Uh, you know, you know, my, my issue was I like to go out and drink. You know, I had a big, big problem with that. I was, uh, I wanted to be be the center of attention. Instead of earning respect, I wanted to be liked, and there's a big difference between the two. Being liked is a low energy, low effort, low hanging fruit goal, while earning respect is what my life looks like now, and, and it is a lot harder to live like this now. Uh, but I, I just only mean that in terms of the amount of energy it takes to sustain this life. But but it it is a positive life, and it creates ripple. So those were my distractions. I was caught up in what was quick and what was easy and what, what required no responsibility. I mean, I, I, I don't even think I took my training seriously until I became a professional. When I became a professional, that's when I stopped yeah. drinking. So, you know, all, all that stuff came together and, and made a big difference in my life. Um, and I, I like to think about it in terms of, in terms of like, uh, I say there's a whole timeline that didn't happen. Okay. And who knows what would have happened along that timeline. But but when I when I got my issue under control, which was the drinking, uh, that entire timeline disappeared. And all that was left 
you know, was I, I could just sit around and do nothing, right? But that's pointless. You know, I wanted more. I wanted to strive for, for more and push for more. And that's what, what happened. <laughs> yeah, I respect that huge. And I think I've read you speak about um, crackhead mentality and being surrounded by that as a... <laughs> Being surrounded by that as a kid in the UK, that's not a term we hear a lot. We would probably use the term junkie or um, addict. Um, you don't have crackheads in the UK. <laughs> no, well, we do. We have heroin junkies, but we maybe don't call them crackheads. Um, what What was that like, and what did that teach you? Uh, you know, so so I make a lot of I make a lot of jokes uh, because that's that's just how I learned to cope with my environment growing up. Because you know, you you go back even further. I I grew up in. In a public housing project. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm very much. I think they're called Commonwealth Estates over there in the UK. Uh, a product of that that environment. So for me, coping with that was a matter of of humor. Okay. And I bring that up to say that while I think it's funny and I try to make light of it, I mean, you, you, what, what I learned is, you know, a person can, a person can, in the pursuit of the easy way out take actions that ruin them for the rest of their life you know there, there ain't nothing worse than taking a shortcut and and that shortcut takes you through hell because what happens is um you you, you want to get off the path to the shortcut because it's miserable and it's destroying you but at the same time uh you don't want to do the work because now you're used to the short feedback and i think that's what happens to a lot of drug addicts yeah is that they know you're like you're never gonna talk to somebody who's hooked on drugs and really in that lifestyle is gonna be like, man, this is great, but why can't they leave it behind? They can't leave it behind because reality now is too much for them. They've they've escaped, uh, and they can't do anything with anything. They they they, they just um, you know what it's like. It's like if you lived your life on easy mode your whole life, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden the difficulty jumped five points, right? You know, you know, however that happens, however it happens, whether it be because, you know, all of a sudden you got to pay for pay for everything yourself and you didn't get a job, whatever, or, or no one talks to you unless it's X, Y, Z. Point is life got exponentially harder. Uh, so what are you going to do? Well, well, you know, trying to adapt, it seems so difficult for you because you've been this way for so long. And and the, you, there are some benefits and rewards. I heard a lot of your friends and peers are here. So why change? Why yeah. make the make the rush? And that's what I learned looking at a lot of these people. I mean, you see that around as well. Is that uh, if you get used to the comfort is, is dangerous, but but it's not that dangerous. What's more dangerous is getting what you choose to get comfortable with. And if you get comfortable with with the lifestyle of a crackhead, for example, a nurse will work against you. You know, you you won't want to change. You won't do anything. It'll be It'd be too much. Um, and, and I just, I just, you know, I, t I take the humor from it and I laugh and, and joke and everything. But if, but if, but if someone were to like, like, yo man, should I, should I smoke crack to get this energy or something like that? I'd be like, what are you crazy? Like, no, like these are, these are jokes. Uh, but, but the mentality, you know, that, that, that's, that's just, that, that's, a, that's a good sign. You know, we try to pull from, from the negative, the positive things we think we can use. Okay. Yeah, and and that analogy to to the mindset that's something positive we can use. Yeah, I fully resonate with what you're saying there, Ed, because you talked about elements of comfortability there, and 
of course, the vast majority of people with access to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube are not crackheads, but they can certainly see that they have at times leaned into comfortability and not accept, not worked on the things that they need to and gone through that inertia. Like you said, they've maybe stuck with where they're comfortable with their friends and their family. That might not be a decision to, to uh, stay remaining a, a drug addict, but it might be that they don't push themselves in other areas of their life, whereas you've seen firsthand that on the extreme end of the spectrum, people who choose to stay comfortable in a, in a bad environment delve into the worst habits of their peers. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of um, it's sad, really, because it doesn't have to be that way, right? If, if you make a decision, but, 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 okay, so we'll backtrack. Right, it doesn't have to be that way. But when you when you're asking someone to make a major life change, what are you what are you asking them to do? You're asking them to give up everything they've known in pursuit of something that is not guaranteed for them. It may look like there may be everything on the table that says this outcome is gonna work, but there's nothing guaranteed. Okay? Because there's nothing guaranteed. You, it's 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 a hard gamble for for I think the average person to make. It's like you like you want me to give up uh, this for that, and you're telling me that's better, but I don't see anything, and this ain't that bad. You know, I'm getting used to this. It's like that old saying, you know, it's like the 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 devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, yeah. right? And, and to them, even if it looks like it could turn out great, um, of course, they're familiar. Uh, the familiarity is where is 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 with them. Of course, Ed, and I think, like I say, you can definitely relate that to far less extreme examples than drug addiction, but it's a, it's a poignant lesson that you learned in early life and you saw that. And you mentioned that you went sober when you decided to turn professional at boxing. What else was going on around that time that led to that decision? Uh, there, there, were, there were actually four things going on. Okay. At that time, four four things, and, and I'm happy all four of them were happening because they they um, gave me the motivation to quit. Uh, one was the the professional boxing career, and, and I hadn't I had just turned pro. I actually had three three pro fights before I was so far I stopped drinking. Did you win those, Ed? Yep, uh, one one of my first uh, thirteen fights uh, turned out pretty well. Uh, so there was that. I had just enlisted in the military. Yep. So in the United States, I don't, I'm, I'm sure there's something equivalent in the UK, but in the United States, when you enlist in the, the armed services, you are now under two different law systems, uh, the civilian law and then the Uniform Court of Military Justice. Yep. And so uh, I was like, all right, that's a pretty big deal. Let me, let me think about that. Uh, I had just enrolled in school and I was like, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to make this happen. So I'm going to get uh, my degree. And it was important to me. And I had just met the the girlfriend who I'm with now. And I said, it looks like she's got a lot of potential uh, in, in my life. Let me, if I mess this up, let me, let me mess it up because I'm, um, because I'm 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 the the a hole, you know, not because because of the drink. Yep. Right. So so I did all that, and so I weighed all that out, and I just said, you know, 
Let's let's put it down because I'm not getting any benefit from from the alcohol. I'm getting all the benefit from these things in my life, and I'm trying to go a certain direction. And the direction I'm trying to go, <sighs> alcohol is not going to get me help me get there. You know, so so that was that was my um, those were the things that that, that were going on to help me get over it. Do you know what screams at me there Ed, is purpose? and fulfillment from these other activities that far outweighed the benefits of getting fucked up a couple of times a week or depending on how severe it was. I know you were drinking a lot heavier than that, but yeah, um, yeah, dude, to the point where you know, every other, almost every day going to work. I mean, it was, it was, there was no, no, it was not good. Um, and really having something, having some of the direct my energies towards again, <clears throat> um, I mean, who knows probably you know definitely saved you know man, my life or someone else's life who knows um but, but the point is that like I, I i think about all the things that could have gone wrong and none of them went wrong and a lot of them didn't go wrong not because i got lucky but because i made a decision to stop having that ever be a risk again you know and, and now like, i mean really I'll, I'll probably never i mean not probably i mean i, I just I can't see myself ever drinking again. Life, life's too good, man. I got, I got, I've got too much. Uh, I'm, I'm just too ahead in life. Yep. <laughs> you know, it, well, why would I give that up at this point? Yeah, with the focuses that you had at that time, that was probably what you used as your crutch and your focus to, to, to substitute the alcohol. And like when you're succeeding in those areas so well, or at least giving yourself the best possible chance to succeed there, alcohol seems like a, a really poor decision to, to stop you from achieving those goals uh yeah yeah you know once again so and so so why do people do it they do it because it's it's easy like it's it's very easy i think about the the social circle i had in my life and i was drinking the heaviest and the social circle i have access to now when I was drinking my heaviest, that social circle, that was an easy social circle of people to drink around. They were drinking buddies. Everything was, let's go do this for the drink. Let's go do that for the drink. And it was not connect. It was not get to know. There was no sitting around. Everything ended up sitting around drinking or chasing women, right? Now, you know, I have real friendships and connections based on common interests, goals that we're trying to do. I like the people I'm around genuinely. Yeah. Um, I genuinely like them. And those 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 um, relationships take a little longer to form because you're not relying on something external to promote or accelerate the connection, but you are building something that will last a lot longer and be more resilient. Yeah, that makes an awful lot of sense, Ed, and I think as somebody that's used sobriety more as a productivity tool than something that I was addicted to as a substance, I can certainly vouch for the the focus element and the element of it is it, the most challenging part of it is your social circle is very much sometimes based on meeting for drinks, and there's a lot there's a right. lot harder it's a lot harder to move away from that and not lose friends, but equally you find other friends who support you and stimulate you in different ways. You said there you like the people you're around now without needing alcohol to spend time with them as a reason. Yeah, it's really nice. I mean, it's it's so cool to be able to do that because, and and here's the other thing it it does too. You learn to be alone, (laughs) which is, which is a big, a big problem for a lot of people. And a lot of people drink because they can't be alone. When you can't be alone, 
then then you then you have to find a reason to be with somebody. And the easiest reason to be with somebody is yo, you want to get together for some drinks. You know, because because you can't just admit you're alone, right? Which which would go a lot. Which well, there's a lot of people I think they would do, and they would learn a lot about themselves if they were just able to go. I I am really alone. Like like I want to connect with some people, but no, it, you know, you got to disguise it with with any number of things that will deplete and destroy your life. You know, for some guys it's the alcohol, some guys it's the drugs, some guys it's chasing random women. It's all it's all a bunch of nonsense. It's all a bunch of stuff that, like, when when you remove it, what's left? Like, like when you sit and talk to me, what do we talk about? And this is one of the things I said. I said, I don't want to become some guy that all I got are a bunch of stories about drinking and all my friends are people I know in the bar. Yep. I didn't want to be that guy. And, and you, you can stare at when you When you're in the bar a lot, you get to stare at people who are like that. You get to see that. And you get to see what can happen. Yep. And I said, I don't, I do not want that to be my life. No way, no how. So you start taking actions that, that make sure that that's not going to occur. Of course. That's, Edna, that's, that's I getting, it's getting under control. <laughs> yeah, of course. That, well, that, that control word is important when it comes to sobriety, because I certainly feel more actualized and in control of myself, my emotions year round. Cause that's me done just over a year um, without any alcohol. And the focus and the ability to delve into projects, but also develop deeper relationships. Like you say, you can talk to people. You don't look around at role models in spaces that um, you wouldn't want to end up in. Like you say, looking around the bar, how many people who go there on a, a daily or a weekly basis would you actually want to have their lifestyle? Whereas there's people. Exactly, man. Like, dude, I, I mean, I love my life. I love yeah. it. I, and, I, and I know it's a cool life because other people love it. They look at it and they they tell me they think it's cool, you know. And and, and I'm not, and I'm never you know posting stuff on social media to, like show off. I mean, if, if anything, I, I, it's to the point now where I kind of have to downplay uh, parts of my life. But like, man, it, it's awesome. It's a good time. I'm very happy with how everything is is going in my in my life. And and I know that that would not be the case. If I was like, as they say, stuck in the matrix, right? And part of the matrix is is that booze, man. It'll keep you there. Of course. In terms of sobriety, I actually heard you a long time ago now, late 2018, you spoke with Chris Williamson on his podcast around the fact that alcohol is the only drug where if you don't take it, people assume you have a problem. And I'd never heard that quote before. But I wrote I wrote it in the notes on my phone because up until that point, I wasn't a heavy drinker. I maybe drank five, six times a year for big occasions, got really fucked up, got really drunk, enjoyed it. But on the nights that I was going out with the car and leaving early, people were like looking at you like you 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 were the one with the problem, whereas they were doing that on a weekly basis and, and getting fucked up. Yeah. And that really resonated with me when, when you said that. And you know, uh, and this is this is one of the problems that I think a lot of people make when they attempt to get get sober or whatever, uh, is that they that they talk to people around them who they're drinking with and to try and get their perspective to get their perspective. And and those people that they're, they're just not whether they think you have a problem or not, they're not in a position to give you advice because it's going to be given from the perspective. It's going to be given from the same level, right? Um, and I don't mean that they have the same drinking problem, but they're engaging with you and they're enabling if you have a problem, right? So you can't ask them if if you think they do. It is a mistake I made. You know, I talked to people who I was drinking with about perhaps I had an issue. 
and and none of it was was taken seriously or considered seriously. I'm I'm not saying it is it is their fault or anything like that, but but I have to recognize the error in that in my line of thinking for doing that. And, and the danger that that potentially set myself up in, set myself up for. So I make sure to everyone who is even remotely thinking about these, the changes you gotta make, you gotta get the advice of somebody who is not doing the crazy stuff with you, even if they seem to have it under control and you don't. Because because think about it, like, like it, we would apply this standard to every other issue. Yeah. But we make alcohol special. Like, like let's just, let's sub out another drug of choice. A crackhead. You like like if two crackheads were sitting together smoking crack, like you, you think it was weird if you asked the other crackhead, like, dude, do you think we have a problem? Like, or do you think I have a problem? And and that makes sense and it's kind of silly, but we don't apply, I didn't apply that reasoning. And I think a lot of people make that mistake based on what I've what I've heard uh when I talk to people about where they've the some of the things they've done in lieu of getting sober leading up to that point. Yeah, of course. And I think when you speak about the range of achievements that you've had since you introduced sobriety, what else has played a role in that? I know you speak a lot about discipline. Can you maybe share with the listeners some of the kind of key tenets of discipline that you have within your life? Uh, yeah, I, I try to ignore how I feel about doing something. That's key. I just look at whether it's necessary. First, I have a goal. And then I go, okay, well, how do I get to that goal? And then I look at the, the, the things that I have to do to reach that goal. And when I'm looking at them is from a purely analytical standpoint, I don't let my emotions get involved. I keep them out because as long as they're out, then I can stay focused. Then the minute how I feel about it gets involved, whether that's happy or sad, then I've set an expectation. If I go in there thinking uh, that I'm excited to do it, or what happens if my, my actual excitement doesn't sustain itself, then I feel down. If I'm dreading it, then I'm going to resist it internally. Uh, no matter what, I try to eliminate the fickle role of emotions in my decisions. And that allows me to stay focused and continue to do what I need to do. Because if I only do what I want to do, or avoid what I don't want to do, that 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 puts my output at the mercy of something beyond my control, which is how I feel. Okay, so that's that's key. You know, if if you can subjugate or, or or stop thinking about your emotions at least, uh, for at least a little bit, then you're gonna be able to get a lot done. And and you and you look back. You know, like like if I had, if I had, the, I think about some of the things that I've had to do over the past eight years or so in this in this, um, quest to improve my life, and all of them. Uh, the, or rather, most of it was not pleasant. I was not like, yay, let's wake up. Like, no. But I had to do it. It had to be done. You know? The other thing I don't do, I don't focus on when it's going to be over. I don't think about it. As far as I'm concerned, this is the only task that I have to do when I'm doing it. So that gets my mind off of another distraction, which is anticipation. Anticipating it being over. Anticipating the reward. Right? I don't think about any of that, all right? I also try not to think about what I'm running from. And then, you know, some of these things, they're good to get you started initially. But once you're in, you got to shut them out because when you start thinking about uh, what, you're, what, what you're running from, what's going to happen if you don't succeed, yeah. uh, then all of a sudden you, you, you think about it enough and you go, well, is it really that bad? 
right? And, and when you start asking yourself that, uh, now you now you got a problem because you might go, oh, it's not that bad. I can suffer through it. No, the for me the key is going. The key is get rid of how I think, how I feel about it. Let's just think through. Let's just get it done. You almost got to turn into a robot. That's what they talk about the ice water veins for for, high, for top performers yeah. and things like that. You want to focus. And when you can focus, man, you can do some incredible things. But when you start uh, paying attention to how you feel, then you are in a world of hurt. You, you, you just have, you're going to have problems. And you're going to have problems you didn't anticipate because you can't really prepare for these problems because they're not things to overcome in the sense that here is this problem out here. How do I face it, go around it, work through it, right? Or what do you know? They're, they're feelings. And, and as we know, if you ain't got your internal game right, you're not going to be on point. So instead of trying to calibrate feelings, I'll deal with all that after the fact. But right now, I know that this guy, whether whether I'm excited or whether I'm, I'm dreading it, I know it has to be done. So I just ignore feelings about it all the way. I think there's a tremendous amount to, to dive into there, Ed. And the first of those around detaching from emotion is something that a lot of people can benefit from when it comes to discipline. It's the same as motivations, temporary disciplines forever, all that kind of uh, approach to achievement. And and for me, when you talk about that, many of the listeners that tune into this podcast are from an Instagram that I built, which is primarily about fitness. So they can resonate from a fitness perspective. But if we're thinking about some of the things that you said that you did that were unpleasant, we're thinking about a physics degree where maybe there was hours of studying that's not rewarding at all in terms of initially straight away and detaching yourself from the emotion of I don't want to do this but also like you say the reward for that is so far down the line in terms of that piece of paper that says that you have a physics degree compared to the fact that you have to spend hours researching studying and putting yourself in a position to pass an exam that is completely um, what we would term delayed gratification rather than something that happens overnight yeah (laughs) it's it's um it's a weird world we live in that everybody wants stuff quickly. Can't have it quick. Don't work that way. Um, you, you just can't do it. And and um, I like to think about a quote I heard. I, I don't remember where I heard it, but I know it wasn't my original idea. So whenever I throw it up, I, I usually put quotes around it. And it's that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but Hiroshima was wiped out overnight. Yeah. Like, and, and that's a, a really powerful idea. The, the nature of anything worthwhile is that it's going to take a long time to build. You're going to have to go back to the drawing board sometimes. You're going to bump into plateaus. Uh, you're, you're just not going to make it out the park correctly the first time. And even if you do, it's not going to take, it's not going to be quick, even by virtue of planning, right? Uh, planning and execution. But, but, destruction because that's not an ordered process that's not a thing that that takes disorder and structures into something that we can work with it does the opposite that's very quick right uh consuming is very quick yeah it's like it's like when people go oh uh, this is the issue to have people have when they when they consume something they think i can do that too i will do that too and you it took you you know you, you go to a youtube channel you really like for example and you you consume um, all their videos. You can consume ten videos in like yeah. an hour. 
each of those videos itself probably took an hour combined. And that's just producing. We're not talking about the knowledge and the editing uh, and, and getting the ideas out there. The building the platform to get people to even pay attention and see it. Uh, it's like reading a book. You know, you, you read a book in like two, three hours if you dedicate it. Took the author months to write it. And that's the nature of everything worthwhile. When it to, to construction takes time. And if you focus on um, how long it's going to take you and, and you can't wait to get it done, man, you might as well give up. Just, just go throw in a towel. You know, it's not, you're like, you're not, you're not built for, for better things if you can't subjugate your need to have it now. I think that sits parallel with that whole idea that creating a good habit, for example, takes many, many repetitions. Whereas to create a bad habit, I think this is James Clear Atomic Habits. If you do something twice in a row that's poor or has a negative outcome, you've actually started to create a bad habit already because it's much easier because that bad habit is much easier to form than the positive one. So like you say, building something positive, Rome versus Hiroshima, destruction, it's an awful lot easier to destroy and a lot quicker than it is to build. And I think that'll resonate with a lot of people that have heard your message there, Ed. Mm. I certainly hope so. Because if, if there's one thing that I like to point out is that it, it just it just takes time. I mean, if you if you want to like look at somebody asked me about my website and I was like, well, you know, I've been at it for about eight. Yes, I said I put in a tweet. I said I've been blogging for about seven years now, so in three I should probably start blowing up. Like <laughs> that's uh, that's the attitude you have to take. Ten years. What are you, what are you gonna do for ten years? Right? Go, go pick something. Guarantee you, whatever it is, do it for ten years, you know, and and sooner or later, because ten years is not, you know, for a lot of people, that's more than ten percent of their life. Most people, most of us, don't live past one hundred, and and you're not going to be capable in your your later years. So so you you don't have a lot of shots. Uh, but but whatever shots you pick, you put some dedication to it. You know, don't just slave away, and and just be a habit of consumption produce something learn something pick up any skill 10 years you can do a lot with 10 years in terms of your ability in terms of producing something ed and things that take a long time as a published author multiple times now and a pretty renowned force on twitter for those that don't already follow you what are some of the things that you did to develop the way and the ability that you have to communicate with the written words uh you know repetition just repetition and always open to learn and always actively learning. So like, for example, uh, all of the, there are a whole slew of articles on the site that just aren't good enough for the site anymore because I'm a better writer. I have a higher standard that I want myself to. I developed that standard over time. Okay. And I developed that standard by studying other writers, other the way other people put stuff on their blog, the way we, you know, see what works in, in written word, making sure I'm always understood. I got a heck of an education studying physics because I had to do a lot of writing yeah. and I had to become a precise writer there. Uh, and and really because because I'm in the business of words. That's the best way to put it. I'm in the business of words. So I make sure I look, everything I read, I read with with the learner's mindset, yeah. not just to learn what they're writing, but I, I like to see how they put the ideas forward, how they structure their argument, 
how they chose the words they chose to make sure the idea was most easily understood. Because I'm always thinking about how they become better in my craft, everything I do becomes a way for me to become better with my craft. When I when, even when I was teaching math and physics, I wanted to make sure I, I was getting the ideas across clearly. That requires the precise vocabulary or a precise vocabulary. I, I study another language because learning how communication works in another language gives you insights into how yours works. It makes your community, I'm telling you, as an English speaker studying any Romance language, um, will give you the appreciation of how imprecise English is in general and how if you want to be a top level communicator, you have to choose the precise wording. You know, like one of the interesting things about Spanish is, is how many concepts we have one verb for to cover, they have a verb for, you know, uh, and, and they have many verbs for, and they're, they're common verbs, but they allow a level of precision that we don't have. Yeah. Well, at least you get, you get to go out of your way. The, the easiest idea, no, the first idea that comes to mind uh, is the difference between can, do, and is in like permission and can do is ability. In English, we don't make the distinction. I can do that. I can do that. You can do that. You can do that. They mean the same. But you mean you can do what? You you can speak Spanish or you can go to the bathroom. Well, two different verbs in Spanish. Also, to question versus to ask for. Two different verbs in Spanish. I can question uh, your motives. But I wouldn't, you know, place, I wouldn't place a question for my food, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a request. And the, and the verbs differ. It, it's very interesting to see this in another language. And then you come back to your language and you go, wow, we are really just, we, we just don't have it together. Inefficient. An efficient yeah. communication. Yeah, and, 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 but, but English is a, is a really unique bird in this regard. I think, I think, um, uh, is, is I, cause I, I mean, I'm, I would like to, I guess I'm like a, a, a slightly above beginner uh, language, you know, student of languages. I've dabbled in a few different languages. Uh, the, the one I've achieved the most proficiency with is Spanish by far. Yeah. And, but, but looking around, English is, is just unique. Um, <laughs> I actually, I actually don't look this up. I mean, look up. I don't really, I actually don't think English has a family. Uh, like a lot of the languages of a family, I think it might belong to the Germanic family, uh, but I'm but I'm not too sure. And if it is, you know, it, it's still very different. But but the point back to your original question is, you know, what my precision and how I continue to try and improve with words is I'm always looking for ways to improve. Everything I read, I look for ways to improve. And and and, and because I'm looking at everything to improve, Bob, uh, I have no problem reading fiction or nonfiction. I write long, short form. You know, I have, I have I have Twitter for the short stuff, newsletter for for my my thoughts, and then the, the real essays go on my website that I, that I craft and put together. You know, and th that's three different types of writing. So I try to get better and better each time in each way that I communicate. Yeah, a big respect for that, Ed. And I think when you speak about maybe you didn't use the term brevity, but being precise and concise with our words is almost a superpower nowadays, particularly with social media. You've seen that through the following you've built on Twitter and the kind of coaching that you offer in that space in terms of people leveling up their Twitter game. I, in my role as a 
my kind of full-time role away from the podcast side hustle is in business development and corporate insurance. And the emails that I send to time poor finance directors and managing directors, CFOs, they need to be precise in their words and their language to get that across. And that is a superpower. Whereas some people will send wordy screeds of text, the guy will open it, it'll be more than two or three scrolls on their phone, it'll get deleted or they just will, they'll file it to say, read later. Whereas if I hit them, short, sharp, punchy with the key core messages, like you do on Twitter, Ed, then I'm far more likely to get my meeting. I'm likely to get my Zoom call. I'm likely to get my presentation, all these different things that I'm aiming for. And I think when I look at the message you put out through your social media and your coaching on delivery of language, it's incredibly valuable for people to realize you can say a lot more with a lot less words than we think. Yeah. And, and, and really that's one of my, one of my, um, I guess driving models for writing is that I try to say everything I can. I try to say the most I can with the least amount of words and even fewer, if that, like, it's always go. And then when you, when you remember, when you think of it that way, it changes how most of us were taught how to write in school. Most of us were taught how to write. Uh, the teacher said, reach a word count. Like it's gotta be at least as many words. And that's awful because it makes you inefficient. The react, the reality is you should have a word maximum, and that's it. You you can't do any more. If you if you argue your point perfectly and you don't need any more words, great. If you don't, uh, but if you need too many, you're not arguing it efficiently. It, but but optimal being optimal it takes a lot of energy. Or we 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 were educated in a lazy manner. Yeah. I fully resonate with that, Ed. And I think I've said there that precision and delivery of your your words and using minimal words possible is a superpower. One of your books is called Not Caring What Other People Think is a Superpower. If there was one lesson that you could teach people from that book, what would that be? Uh, you know, the, the given enough time, you can learn anything. I'm a big book believer that, uh, you know, given enough time, you can you can figure out whatever is necessary in your life, but you have to go about it with that mindset that you have enough time because it's an interesting lie you have to tell to yourself. And it's almost, it's, it's, you, you have to go, okay, I don't have enough time. So let me act urgently, but I have all the time in the world. Let me act deliberately. And you have to be able to act in, in the realm of both of those. And that's how you make any improvement in your life. You have to be urgent, but deliberate. You have to be able to look at a period of 10 years and go, that's a lot of time, but it's not that much time all at the same time. And if you can do that, you're going to make, make a big, big, um, you're going to have a big impact in the world. That's actually one of the things that I, I work on, how I believe. Yeah, of course, Ed. And I think when you say around deliberate action and then pay and patience, it kind of resonates with other things that you said throughout this episode when it comes to that kind of refusal to seek instant gratification, either from alcohol or drugs, that refusal to attach yourself to emotion when it comes to the outcome of a particular activity or process that you're taking part in. And I think that's a message that you've kind of continued to hammer on across across everything that you say, really, in terms of your general... I try language. to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I try to make sure people can, um, you know, they can learn from me. If you can't learn from me, what am I doing? Just, just, 
existing on the internet, basically, taking up space, ramming words down people's attention span, and uh, and not doing anything with it. But that's not what I want to do. Of course. I think the final thing I was going to ask you around, Ed, is we've spoken a lot about sobriety, but one of your books is Sober Letters to My Drunk Self. What is kind of one of the key essays within that that you think people might resonate with as a kind of parting message from you? Uh, you know, the, the, the essay I get the most feedback on, interesting, you know, is, is people realizing that, uh, so sorry, I have an essay called, you know, the, the, what is it? Uh, oh, alcohol problem or problem or drinking alcohol. And, and it, it talks about the two different types of alcoholics. There are people who, who can't stop drinking and people who have problems when they start. Okay. And and popular like I guess folklore media highlights the first con a lot. That's what we think. We think it's somebody who can't put the bottle down is always drinking, right? But it's not that simple. A lot of times, what you're looking at is somebody who who for whatever reason is in a situation where they have to drink, or that's already known. And I don't say have to drink like someone puts a gun to their head, but the, the pressures from society and peers are so great that they, they feel like they lack the strength and resolve to resist. Yeah. And when they do so, you know, they got a, they got a lot of demons they're dealing with and it expresses themselves. And those demons express themselves um, when they start drinking. So uh, I think, I think if we read that, you know, you'll, you'll get to see it that you're not alone. And that's really what the point of the book was. I wanted people to realize that they aren't alone, uh, that they have, that there are tons of people uh, with, with a similar issue. And not only that, but if if a person uh, wants to stop drinking, I wanted that book to kind of be there to let them know that just because you're around alcohol doesn't mean you need to give in yeah. to it you know so that that's a bit a big lesson and then i talked about i'll do the other big big le- essay are the things you need to stop drinking so there was that yeah and then i think you've hit on those today tonight throughout this conversation in terms of focus and fulfillment and other activities like you did with your kind of four areas of your life that were such a a focus for you at that point which outweighed any benefits that drinking regularly would have would have given you yeah, 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 for sure. Because now, I mean, at this point, I just, I, I couldn't imagine going back and drinking again. It, life is just, life is just too good. I mean, it, it's just too good, too happy. Uh, I've got everything I, I need and want and then some. Ed, your enthusiasm for life, your focus, your discipline, your general message is something that from a selfish perspective, I've enjoyed a lot and I'm sure the listeners will as well. The last thing to ask you is where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Oh, I'm Ed Lattimore everywhere, man. I'm Ed Lattimore on Twitter, Ed Lattimore on Facebook, Ed Lattimore on Instagram, EdLattimore.com uh, is my website. So just just go look up Ed Lattimore on your favorite platform and you will find me. Perfect, Ed. I'll pop that in the show notes below. If you're still with us at this point, guys, please take a screenshot, pop it on Instagram stories, tag Ed, tag myself. I look forward to all your feedback and I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.